Blog Talk Radio.
broadcasting live to billions of people. Camels on the streets tracking who we meet and call this liberty. Sandy is uh, won't take your calls, but I think that he's uh, 
think he's a little bit busy just right at this moment. So if you call in, I'll just go ahead and I'll just go ahead and open your mic and ask if you want to come on the air. If you don't, just say no, no thanks. And uh, if you're just listening, all right. So you're welcome to call in three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero. That's also the number if you want to call in and uh, and talk about any upcoming events that you guys are going to be running soon. I see uh, uh, one of our guys, Spitstickler chat room. Uh, Spit, you're welcome to call in and talk about the events you guys are going to be running for uh, the April 26th shoot at uh, Quail Creek. Uh, if you want to call in and talk about that, you're welcome to. Or any of the events that you guys have run and you want to do an extra after action report, you're welcome to do that too. All right? In just a minute, we're going to be talking about uh, the topic of the show tonight. The, the title of the show is, Hey, Connecticut, Hannibal is at the Gates. Uh, Hannibal at Portis. That's uh, a saying that Roman parents used to tell their children to scare them. Uh, and meant Hannibal is at the Gates. And they would tell them this because, you know, Hannibal at the time was a uh, a very feared warrior who had been treading across the planet and crushing everyone uh, before him, every, crushing every every city he came to, every army, and uh, and it, it was used in much the same fashion that uh, that parents today might use uh, something like saying, "Hey, the boogeyman is coming," and. Uh, and that's kind of what we're saying, is that the boogeyman is coming. The events that are happening in, in Connecticut right now are very serious. Uh, I, I know that uh, probably a lot of folks aren't paying attention to it, are very, very serious. And uh, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Uh, I want to... Uh, like I said, I want to give folks a chance to call in at the beginning of the show if they'd like to. Like I said, we, we ask a lot of our Apple Seed volunteers. We ask a lot of them. And we normally work them like dogs. And uh, uh, we ride them hard and put them away wet. It's not because uh, the organization is trying to be mean or rough on the folks. It's just because Apple Seed has a legitimate mission. It's not uh, a social organization. It's a legitimate mission. That is to make sure that folks uh, are able to uh, to learn and practice their rifle marksmanship, which is a heritage, which is an American heritage, and learn about rifle safety and then learn about the history of the nation, you know, about how we got started and the events that that brought about the creation uh, of this nation. And one of those events uh, that started the, the whole shebang off was when the occupying uh, British regular forces, the, the colonists had been... Uh, uh, according to King and to uh, to the Parliament in England, the colonists had been misbehaving, and because of their misbehavior, 
they had sent an occupying army over, and the occupying army was sent uh, for two reasons. One, uh, as a show of force, and two, uh, to make sure that the colonists were doing the things that uh, the king wanted. This, uh, it's never good for an occupational army. It's never good. Even, uh, even if the folks welcome them and throw fire of flowers in the beginning, like they did uh, for American forces in Iraq. Everybody was happy and they were, I say everybody, everybody wasn't happy. Uh, there were a lot of people who were, who were unhappy and there were a lot more people who were dead. Uh, but a lot of the folks were happy to see uh, the American forces arrive and uh, to release them uh, from under the oppressive dictate of uh, Saddam Hussein. But I don't care how happy they are to see you. It's no different than, uh, than with any other guest. You know, after a while, uh, uh, what is the... What is the saying? Uh, after two days, uh, uh, fish and house gets begin to stink, or something like that. It's the same thing with the occupational army. They, uh, uh, it's never going to work out. It's never going to go well, and it didn't here in the colonies. <clears throat> Eventually, uh, a decision was made by uh, uh, General Gage to in order to prevent the colonists from further misbehaving, uh, misbehavior that might include firearms, he decided to go out and confiscate what uh, was called the king's powder. Now, some of the gunpowder uh, that was stored uh, in the city belonged to, to, was said to belong to the king. You know, apparently it was uh, it was purchased uh, with tax money and stuff like that. But a lot of the gunpowder was not. A lot of the gunpowder uh, had been purchased by individuals and by the cities and stuff like that for their defense. And and it was kept. Gunpowder was a very volatile mixture, and uh, and it's easy uh, for for something to go wrong. Uh, for a house to catch fire or anything like that. And you don't want uh, a whole bunch of gunpowder stored uh, in your home or anywhere else. And So they would have the gunpowder stored in uh, in usually different types of buildings built specifically to store the powder, to keep it dry, to keep it safe, and, and to keep it far enough away from uh, areas of population that if something did go wrong, a uh, bolt of lightning, uh, you know, an errant spark, anything like that, that uh, it would do as little damage as possible. <clears throat> Gage's idea was that with the with the firearms at the time, the muskets, they had to have gunpowder in order for them to work, right? It's like today, we have to have bullets. They had to have gunpowder in order for them to work. And uh, Gage's theory was that if they didn't have gunpowder, then uh, they wouldn't be able to shoot, and they could cause very little mischief. So his decision was to go out and confiscate the gunpowder. Now, the first time he did that, did this, <clears throat> uh, 
successful. And uh, he was able to uh, he was able to uh, go out and I'm I'm trying to type as I'm and I'm talking and and we know this is uh, no good for me. He uh, he was successful in uh, sending his men out and they loaded up all the powder and they took it back and. Uh, and this infuriated the colonists. Uh, number one, even though he may have called it uh, the king's powder, it wasn't. And uh, the the folks were furious. They, they, how dare this person come out and and take uh, stuff that was theirs, uh, secretly removing the the military stores of uh, uh, powder from the storehouses and arsenals uh, do this. And uh, on August uh, 31st, uh, uh, 1774, uh, the uh, the General Gage had uh, sent the, the men out uh, to uh, remove the provincial powder and uh they did and uh the uh like i said they uh it was a force of about two hundred sixty uh British regulars these guys were out of the fourth regiment uh under the command of lieutenant colonel uh, madison they uh rode up they all got into the rowboats and they rode up river up the mystic river from Boston and they ended up uh, coming ashore at a landing point near Winter Hill which is it's close to uh, the modern town of Somerville. Now, from there, they marched about a mile or so to the the powder house. I told you they, they built special places to, to store the powder for safety. <clears throat> and uh, uh, the gunpowder magazine held the, the, they held the largest supply of, of gunpowder in the whole state of Madison, uh, the colony. Of Massachusetts, uh, the uh, sheriff there uh, had the key to the lock that was on the powder house, and uh, he turned it over uh, to the the king's troops. And uh, as soon as the sun came up, they removed the uh, the gunpowder from the storage. And the reason I say as soon as the sun came up is because you know, the powder houses were. Uh, they were designed not to leak and, and or to have any way, you know, for air or moisture to get in. That included windows and stuff. So the only way you were going to be able to get in there and move around and see what was going on would be to have a light. And a light uh, in 1774 consisted of a candle uh, or an oil lamp, and nobody in their right mind went into a powder storage building with a candle or a lamp they didn't have to and these guys didn't they didn't have to they were already there in possession of the building so as soon as sun came up they could uh, see what they were doing they got in there and they uh they took the uh the powder loaded it up took it back to the uh to the boat that they had uh uh rode up on loaded it all in there and uh and get back uh 
the like I said, the the colonists were furious, and uh, and this was one of the events that kind of set everything else in motion. Uh, because of this, the colonists ramped up their their actions as far as uh, intelligence gathering and uh, and of organization. Uh, designing and implementing plans for what they would do if this was tried again. And it was tried a couple more times. Now, the next, all, all of the rest of the the powder raids were failures because the, the colonist intelligence and their intelligence gathering methods had become so good that uh, the British regulars felt that the, the only place where they could actually talk and not have the uh, the danger of being over, overheard was to walk out onto the old dock. This is the old dock that stretched out of Boston. To walk out onto the old dock far enough away that no one could hear them, and they could look around, and they could see they were completely surrounded by water, and then they could talk without fear of the, the information uh, being gathered by, uh, by the colonists and, uh, and being relayed to the intelligence gathering, the uh, organizations. So once this had happened, it caused the colonists to really ramp up their efforts at intelligence gathering and in preparing to prevent any additional powder raids from being successful. And... And the folks planned stuff out. They got they they figured out ways how they could get from point A to point B as quickly as possible with the most men possible. And they studied on this and they worked on this for uh, for well over a year. And uh, and this is one of the things that ended up leading to the events that uh, would transpire on April nineteenth. 1775, beginning of the Ten Revolutionary War. Uh, The same thing is going on now in Connecticut. Uh, The the folks in Connecticut, and you know the the uh, the anti-gun folks have uh they they love to tell the uh, the second amendment folks that they that they're idiots and that they're alarmists for worrying about things like uh, or connecting things like gun gun confiscation and uh, gun registration and and yet we see that is exactly the thing going on now in Connecticut now the way this kind of uh, came into being was uh, ever since the uh, the tragic events uh, at Sandy Hook, the shooting that occurred there. And let me first say that uh, that the person, uh, almost none of the folks who have who have perpetrated these hideous crimes. Uh, came into possession of their firearms in a legal fashion. But 
all of the folks who have, all of the legal firearms owners, are the ones who are being penalized for this. <clears throat> Ever since the uh, the events in San Diego, the Connecticut, the lawmakers in Connecticut uh, have been leading the, the nation in uh, their attempts to generate to generate legislation uh, in order to in their minds, in order to prevent any further events uh, like Sandy Hook. <clears throat> Unfortunately, uh, it's not possible to legislate away evil. Uh, the state legislature uh, passed a bill uh, banning all of the, uh, what they call high-capacity magazines, not anything above 10 rounds, and semi-automatic rifles, uh, certain prohibited cosmetic attachments, right? Anyone who owned a magazine or a rifle before the law was passed was grandfathered in, but they were also forced to register these, uh, what they called, what, what they have titled, dangerous weapons with the state before January 1st, 2014. Well, it seems that the registration deadline came and went, and uh, the registration numbers turned out to be pretty interesting. Uh, just like in New York, the uh, gun owners in Connecticut are refusing to register firearms with the state, and uh, all of these, all of these folks, who the uh, uh, December 31st were decent, law-abiding citizens in every other way, uh, on January 1st, 2014, they all became felons. Uh, when the Connecticut legislature passed a law that just uh, just arbitrarily outlawed previously legal firearms, um, these are firearms that uh, uh, when you look at the statistics of it, uh, I, I, I'm not going to give you the exact numbers, but but believe me, it's going to be well way close enough. Uh, out of the uh, I believe it was 2010 or 2011 statistics I was looking at. There were 13,000 uh, homicides with firearms. And uh, of those, I believe there were only about, uh, I believe, maybe eight or 900 with rifles. Of those, it turns out, only 13 that uh, firearms are uh, homicides with firearms using the so-called assault rifles. So you have uh, approximately 13 uh, fatalities out of 13,000, and yet this, these, are the, these are the firearms that the, uh, that the state is going after. Uh, there is approximately... Uh, Oh, 48,000 people who registered their uh, their so-called dangerous 
firearms, dangerous weapons, and about uh, another 40,000 people who register their uh, high-capacity magazine with this date by January 1st. Uh, but the the it appears that the numbers might represent uh, as small a number as four percent of the total number of assault weapons and uh, prohibited magazines that are owned in the state. Four percent. So in Connecticut, there has been a massive show of uh, civil disobedience, and the gun owners apparently are refusing to comply with the, the mandated registration. And as a result of this, we have uh, the state of Connecticut instantaneously creating, uh, at a minimum, uh, at least 100,000 felons overnight who have created no other crime. Uh, however, now the state has, uh, has decided it's going to go after these folks. And they've been sending out gun confiscation letters. That's right. Uh, and this even affects a lot of folks who, for whatever reason, they missed the deadline. And uh, uh, for whatever reason, they missed the deadline. Uh, uh, because in, in, in many cases, a lot of them had tried to send in their registration forms by the deadline date, uh, but they didn't figure uh, on the post office being closed on New Year's. And uh, this led to a huge number of uh, forms arriving after the deadline. Now, rather than uh, the state, rather than the state saying, hey, uh, all right, we got these a day late, Okay, it's a day late. Uh, uh, no, you guys probably didn't know about the, or you didn't think about the date, whatever. You, know, you send it in, okay, good for you. <laughs> Instead of doing that, uh, the uh, 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 now they did, uh, I think that they did uh, try and extend it, didn't they? Let's see. See if I can find it here. Oh, the governor. Governor, Governor Malloy uh, decided to extend the deadline for three days. That means that all the registration forms that they got after the 4th or received by the 4th would still be accepted. Well, uh, a few hundred uh, forms arrived after the second deadline. Uh, and, uh, and the state of uh, Connecticut decided it was going to go after all of these folks. These are the folks. Uh, the folks who sent their uh, their registration in, but it didn't make it by the date. Now the state has those people's names, addresses, uh, everything else, all their information. And they know they have the uh, firearms because they sent it in the forms. And the state is going to here are here are the uh the options that these folks have. For the people that sent in, these are the guys that sent in their registration and arrived late. Uh because they failed to meet the deadline, 
they can either render the weapon or magazine inoperable by destroying it in some fashion. They can sell the weapon or the magazine to a licensed dealer. Uh, or they can uh, take the magazine or the assault, weight out of, uh, assault weapon out of the state or make arrangements to relinquish the weapon or magazine to a police department. So, now the, the next move is uh, in the state who own these firearms. Uh, the, the, the vast majority of the folks in, uh, in Connecticut have defied the law. That's just, it's plain and simple. Uh, like I said earlier, they think that, that the, uh, the 48,000 people who did register them, they think that that might be as, as little as 4% of the, of the actual owners. That means that uh, approximately 96% of the people living in the state who have these illegal weapons and magazines that they have just—they're just refusing to comply with the law. Uh, unfortunately, the, for the folks who tried to and uh, missed the the two arbitrary dates, uh, they're they're right in the headlights. The state now knows that these folks possess these illegal weapons and magazines. And uh, and what do you think that they're going to do? I mean, uh, I don't imagine that the that the state is going to say, well, okay, so you, we told you to register the uh, the magazine or the assault weapon. And you tried to, and you didn't make the date. Uh, well, whatever. Uh, here's your options: you can uh, destroy it, you can sell it to a licensed dealer, you can take it out of the state, or you can turn it into the cops. You can do one of those things, and uh, and we trust that you're going to do that. Uh, do you think that they're going to do that when they have a stack of forms with folks' names and addresses, and everything else on them? I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, and I think that the, I think that both sides are, have been put in a horrible position by their lawmakers. Uh, the, uh, they, they're at the, the point now where they're going to have to go door to door uh, on these uh, these thousands of folks, and guess uh, make sure that they are in compliance. So what are they going to do? They're going to go door to door with these warrants and uh, and search these houses. And what are they going to do if they don't find it there? What are they? What's going to happen uh, if the if the folks don't want to give it up. What's going to happen? What's going to happen if somebody? What's going to happen if they start shooting citizens over this? This is a very, very dangerous place we are in. 
the things that are happening right now, this this should this should be a very uh, a, a very serious reminder to you guys about how uh, how fragile our our Second Amendment rights are. Uh, the uh, the president has stated that uh, he completely supports an assault weapon ban, and uh, and there has been uh, a great deal of talk about uh, about uh, if he was not able to do it uh, using Congress then they're trying to figure out how to do it using some type of uh, some type of executive action Uh, there's uh, if there's anybody listening that uh, is from Connecticut yeah, or listen, it can be anybody. If there's anybody listening that uh, would like to chime in on this, then we'd love to to have your thoughts about it. If uh, if the state that you're living in, if they said, uh, if they just arbitrarily said, okay, uh, we feel that we feel that whatever, we feel that your your 30-30 lever action rifle is uh, it's the most dangerous firearm. Uh, and in America, and we we want you to. We're going to make it illegal, and we want you to come. We want you to turn them in. Uh, first, you have to register them or turn them in. And, uh, and listen, by the way, the thirty thirty lever action rifle is the most dangerous uh, firearm uh, in America. It is managed to rack up. Uh, uh, the highest number of fatalities of uh, folks and and uh, law enforcement officers over any other uh, uh, long gun. The the thirty thirty lever action rifle is the, uh, the most dangerous one that there is. <clears throat> the on the other hand, the AR fifteen uh, quote assault rifle. Apparently, the least dangerous one that there is. And yet, that's the one that everybody wants to go after. And uh, I, I don't know if it's just the look of it, or if uh, if there is some other uh, if there is some other agenda, which is uh, we don't want you to have this because, gosh, dog it, this this rifle is. Is awfully dang effective. And, uh, it's easy to shoot. It's uh, it's very accurate, <clears throat> lightweight. Uh, dang, no, no, no. We we don't want you to have this one. And if it's not that, then what is it? Is it just uh, the anti-gun folks? Uh, the way that they is it just the look of the rifle? What is it? That is that is driving this agenda. Because if you look at the statistics, you'll see that <clears throat> that America is in a is in a 50-year low for 
firearms homicides. We're this last year was the lowest year. Well, you know, we've been down on, on a downward trend, and this last year was the lowest in 50 years. Gun violence is not rising. Then what is it? Well, I'm sure one of the things is that uh, is how it's portrayed. <clears throat> uh, and uh, even though it hasn't been used in uh, uh, in a lot of the mass shootings, it's, they've used other firearms. Uh, it's still been the it, it's still been the focal point of the anti-gun folks' uh, desire, and uh, and this has included the the really bizarre things I think like uh, like uh, I believe in California you know where you're uh, if it has certain things like a bayonet uh, lug on it you're making it illegal and and what seems really strange to me because if you look up the statistics for bayonet uh, attacks and bayonet homicides it's it's very low it's like uh, below the number one uh, which means there are none. So, how is that? Uh, how is that helping, or how is that uh, a factor other than than it's inherent in many of the rifles? And uh, folks in California have, you know, they manufactured firearms to to go around these uh, these rules. Uh, things like uh, instead of having a magazine, uh, you know, you have a you, you pop out the, the second pin, the rear pin, uh, for the upper, uh, fold it open, and push in a, uh, a clip, much like the FKS is loaded. And, you know, you just push a, push a uh, stripper clip into the uh, into the magazine, and then close it, push the pin back in. <laughs> uh, I, I don't understand the, the preoccupation with it. And uh, if anyone has any uh, insight in this, like I said, they're welcome to call in three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero, and uh, we'll take your we'll take your comments on the air. Uh, anytime you have a situation like this, uh, where you have where you're pushing. Uh, Tens of thousands of folks, where you've, where you've instantly made law-abiding folks uh, uh, felons, and and you are pushing folks, then it's a very it, it it's a very dangerous situation, and I don't think that the folks in Connecticut. Uh, I don't think they understand how dangerous uh, a situation they've created. Uh, let's uh, let's look at uh, let's look at some of the events that are going on there now. We've got uh, we've got the uh, the recent. Uh, the recent comments 
that were made on Twitter by one of the Connecticut police. And uh, this is this is certainly causing a lot of outrage because uh, one of the Connecticut policemen, uh, I'll see where he's from. I believe it's from uh, the Branford uh, PD there in Connecticut. He's having a on di- online discussion, I think, on uh, Twitter, or is it Facebook? It's Facebook, I believe. And uh, they're talking about it. And uh, and one of the guys is saying to him, let me see if I can look this up, he's saying, this is a, a Navy veteran, John Sink, and he wrote, just do me a favor. I'm the only one in my house with access to a weapon. So please don't shoot my son if he answers the door with his Xbox controller in his hand. Or my wife, she comes to the door with her cell phone. I don't have a dog, so there's no problem there. If you show up like a gentleman, you won't have any issues with me. Uh, Houston writes back, I agree, John. But like I said, I didn't make the law. But if it comes down to that, and I guess we see how you would respond one professional to another and friend to friend. I'm not going for any warrants. You're missing what I'm saying. But if my department gets them and we have to serve them, I will see you then, dot, dot, dot. Uh, another guy uh, wrote in... Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, Cameron Smith. He wrote. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what what he wrote, but here is Peterson's answer. Peterson said, and I'm just going to read this. Isn't me saying it. This is what this is straight off of his uh, Facebook thing. I'd give my left nut to bang down your door and come for your gun. You idiot! Grow up. Uh, and then he writes, hey, everyone, Cameron is a criminal law-breaking psycho. And uh, Cameron writes back, I bet you would. And being a lover of freedom and liberty is not being a psycho. Saying you would enact Nazi policies are psycho. And uh, then he writes, and I don't live in your liberal-loving state, so sorry, son. It's not a Nazi policy, you thick-headed idiot. It's a state statute. I don't come to your job and tell you how to do yours. If the fries ain't done, I just step out of line. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, people, uh, you know, the question has come up over and over. Is uh, if police or, or, or other law enforcement agencies and stuff are told to to go and confiscate people's guns, will they do it? Well, obviously, some of them will. And some of them, like this guy, like uh, Peterson says, he'd give his left nut to bang down your door and come for your gun. This is what I'm talking about. Uh, You get the two sides facing each other, and, and both of them, in some way, believe that they are right. Obviously, the officer feels that he is... He is perfectly within his rights to bang down the citizen's door, take his firearm, 
and that if necessary, uh, use whatever force is necessary to complete the job and do the job. The citizens think that they are being forced uh, to submit to unlawful. This is, uh, this is exactly what happened in 1775. The citizens felt they were being forced to submit to unlawful orders. And the Supreme Court has decided uh, that it is that we do have the right as citizens and individuals to keep and bear arms. Now, the states certainly have the ability uh, to make additional laws or to interpret uh, certain laws uh, uh, or make laws and enforce them. But uh, like I said, the 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 the, the firearms that they've decided to classify this week as dangerous weapons are the ones that have caused the the least amount of uh, of homicides in the nation. So so what is the real agenda, and why and why with homicide, with gun homicide being at a 50 year low, why is it being done? Why are they why are they doing it now? Uh, a lot of folks, uh, a lot of folks that are that are that are good, law-abiding, abiding citizens feel that the Second Amendment, which has been interpreted by the Supreme Court to to mean that they have the right to keep and bear arms, are unwilling. Uh, to have anyone tell them that it is no longer a right. And and these are good people. And I just, uh, I think this is a, a very dangerous, very dangerous uh, situation. <clears throat> uh, all right. 347-308-8798. Uh, Seven nine zero. If you guys would like to uh, to jump in and uh, and comment on this, which I would like for you to, I would like for you guys to. Uh, we're listening to uh, to add your voice uh, to what we're talking about because uh, because that's what we need. We need to hear what uh, what different people think about it. Now, the guy that uh, uh, John Sink. The guy who who had the conversation with uh, Officer Peterson, uh, the 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 conversation that happened there on Facebook went it went viral, and uh, it went all over the nation. I mean, really quick, and uh, <clears throat> there. Uh, the 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 police department uh, has had uh, has had a lot of people making threats. Now I don't know exactly if they're making them against officers. I don't think that they are, 
I think what they're saying is if you guys try to come to my house and bang down my door, uh, firearm, that they're going to resist. And uh, and this is uh, the, the situation there is escalating. Now, <clears throat> apparently, uh, the... Uh, the guy who was uh, on the Facebook and, and and talking to the officer, apparently they, uh, the uh, police in uh, Connecticut have, uh, have asked Mr. Sink, who is that's a Navy veteran who this was, who was involved in the conversation, <coughs> that uh, they asked him to come in and have a, uh, a sit-down discussion. He did. He went in, and there was a uh, apparently there was a, a two and a half hour sit-down with the Brantford uh, Police Department this last Tuesday, and uh, he reported that the Brantford PD was supposed to come out with an apology uh, for Peterson's comments, and they wanted Sink's endorsement of the apology. Uh, you know, hoping to cool things down. And uh, uh, Sink said that the first words out of the police chief's mouth were, uh, "How can you? How can you help us with this?" And uh, uh, the uh, Sink said that uh, that he wasn't going to automatically endorse any uh, any apology that they. Put out. He said there are some things uh, that need to be addressed before he endorsed it. Police wrong. He said, "Don't make the apology to me. He said, the apology has to be to the residents of Bradford and to the citizens of the state of Connecticut." He wasn't upset about what the officer was saying to him. He was upset about how he felt that the police were going to treat the state's residents. Uh, so, so apparently they're they're trying to work out some stuff to uh, to throw some water on the situation there in Connecticut and uh, and and it, maybe it'll work and maybe it won't. I, I don't know. Uh, the uh, the folks there apparently. Uh, Apparently they're not uh, they're not taking this lightly, and uh, and like I said, this is a this is a very serious uh, a very serious situation. I feel like it's a test uh, that this state is like, and I'm not saying that that it was a uh, like it's intentionally. Uh, that anybody intentionally set it up to the test, but I think everybody everybody's looking at it now to see how it's going to play out. Because I can guarantee you, if it if it went over smoothly, if the people would have just uh, uh, went and opened the doors to their homes and said, "Okay, the guns are over there in the safe. Just go ahead and take what you want. I'm going to sit down and finish watching that Monday Night Football," and uh, and everything went smoothly, you can bet that other states would begin trying the same thing. 
but apparently it's not. Uh, they think that there's as many as uh, as many as three hundred and fifty thousand gun owners and uh, high capacity magazine owners who are defying the law and that are now felons. Uh, and and that's not a little thing because uh, the law doesn't make the the violation make the possession violation a it's not just a misdemeanor it's a it's a felony which could result in uh, a prison sentence. So what are they going to do? Are they going to uh, <laughs> are they going to have to build a a uh, hundred new prisons to house all of the Connecticut felons. Uh, what are they going to do when, uh, uh, when a uh, you know a, a large percentage of their of their workforce is no longer uh, no longer working because they're in prison? Uh, the the things that happen in Connecticut now are going to be the things. Uh, it's going to kind of set like the ground rules for what's going to go on uh, in other states for the next few years. Uh, in addition to that, in addition to the folks that sent in their their registration forms uh, but didn't get them in on time, like I said, those are the guys that are going to be gone after first because they definitely have them, because they already they already signed all the forms and everything and said, yep, yeah, I got it, here it is. And uh, they tried to uh, send it in, and it didn't work. But the state also has, uh, since they can access from the government, they have records for all of the gun owners who uh, went through uh, the process of buying a firearm from a uh, federal firearms licensed dealer, and that's a record showing that uh, they had to get a background check in order to purchase a uh, a firearm. And the firearm that you're buying is listed. You know, they they list it. Uh, they keep records of what it is. So the government actually has the uh, uh, you know uh, hundreds of thousands of. Uh, of pieces of paper uh, showing who these people are that uh, apparently at some point they bought, they legally bought an AR-15. Now, whether or not they have it anymore, who knows? Because uh, they may have sold it to uh, uh, to their their family member in Texas or, uh, or, or somebody else in the town. Who knows what they did? Because all they have is the record that this person at one time bought them. But the government could potentially go after uh, after any of those folks who illegally purchased a firearm, had a background check done on it, and uh, and then the uh, the state will have possession of that. I, I'm really I I got to tell you I'm really it really surprised me that the folks in Connecticut did this. I wasn't really expecting this. I was expecting them to roll like uh, like everyone else has so far. Uh, 
you know, I, I expected him just to uh, to comply with it, and uh, and and it would be done. But uh, they're not. They're not, and I don't mean just a few of them. I'm talking about the majority. This is a huge act of civil disobedience. The majority of the folks that have these firearms and high-capacity magazines, the, the vast majority, are refusing to comply. So that leaves this state with, uh, with a ball in their court now. So what are they going to do? What's this state going to do? Or what are they... Uh, uh, what are they going to do about this? Uh, this is going to be uh, this is going to be very uh, like I said. This is going to set precedents. So, uh, like I said, I'm sure everybody uh, is is watching this. Uh, everybody's wondering how this is going to uh, to end up in uh, and I'm, I'm I'm trying to figure out how I can help them you know how can I help these guys uh, keep their their legally uh, purchased uh, firearms so the uh, the if you look back in history, and you know we we teach history at uh, the Appleseed Rice Marksmanship events, uh, and even we don't really go over a lot of the numbers though of it. Uh, I think usually we'll mention uh, at events that during the American Revolutionary War there was probably a pretty even split uh, between the folks who wanted independence, the folks who were neither here nor there on it and the folks who wanted to remain loyal to the king, to the crown. You know, there was a pretty, pretty much a third and a third and a third. You had probably a third of the folks that uh, that were uh, that were hardcore to, to, to lukewarm folks wanting independence. Uh, then you had a, a ton of folks. Because you remember, the, uh, the colonies originally, when they were settled, uh, the colonies were settled usually under... Uh, a charter from the king and then in addition to that they would be settled under a charter from uh, from some type of religion and uh, uh, some of the colonies were Quakers and uh, and a lot of them uh, had very strong uh, non-violent uh, attitudes you know, they didn't want any violence. They didn't want to... Uh, they would do whatever they were told, and they would go with whoever was in charge. They just didn't want any violence. Uh, a large number of the, of the people were rural people, farmers and uh, uh, stockmen, woodcutters and stuff. They weren't... To them, it was... They didn't see a lot of, uh, of, of any of one side or the other anyway, so what does it matter? They just wanted to raise their crops. They wanted to be left alone. And then there were the folks who were who were still, they were loyal to the crown, and uh, they wanted to remain under the uh, the rule of England. 
Now, those numbers are pretty uh, are pretty commonly talked about, but uh, the the numbers that they that we don't point out usually is the fact that uh, out of a total of approximately two million uh, colonists. Uh, people residing in the in the colonies in the Americas. Uh, uh, only about three percent of the population ever actively resisted the uh, the king and the British regulars. Uh, of the of the rest uh, of the other ninety seven percent, there were uh, there was not active. Uh, resistance. It was passive resistance. Uh, the uh, the other 97% was made up, like we said, of the of the you know the 33, 33, 33. folks who who resisted, but it was passive rest. You know, re- resistance. They they did things uh, <clears throat> like. Uh, uh, like not pay taxes, or you know they were going to to the king, or they or they hid their crops, or uh, you know things that were things that were passive resistance to the king, and then you had uh, uh, you know another third who were who were afraid or didn't want to do anything, and then you had another third who were who remained low of the crowd. But the point in this is that it only took. Three percent of the population. Three percent of the population to actively resist, in order for the colonists to be successful. Uh, we could have uh, we could have very easily lost. We could have very easily lost the American Revolution. Uh, if you think about it. Uh, even if we had just been, if we'd only been one percent, the act of resistance had only been uh, downsized by one percent, that probably would have been the end of it. One percent, that would have left only two percent population resisting. That wouldn't have been enough. But with the three percent, we were able to pull it off. We were able to pull off independence and the beginning of a nation. We were able to rescue. Uh, our life, liberty, and property, our independence. Uh, that's what we're seeing right now. Uh, and the scary thing is, is that our right now, you know, our rights are our rights are in the hands of just a few. Uh, a few congressmen, uh, and that's what we're relying on. We're relying on just a few congressmen to honor their uh, their commitment, their their oath to the Constitution. Uh, like I said, we're at a very dangerous time. <clears throat> now. I want to read. Uh, I 
want to read another. Uh, let's read some information from uh, from stuff that's coming in right now on Connecticut. Uh, apparently, <clears throat> uh, apparently, some of the police uh, in Connecticut are starting to state that uh, their reluctance or their outright refusal to enforce gun, gun confiscation. Now, <clears throat> uh, apparently, uh, David Hardy is reporting that on Friday, 250 law enforcement officers in Connecticut signed an open letter stating that they will not enforce the new anti-gun and uh, high-capacity magazine laws, which they consider to be a violation of the Second Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. So, and the, and the uh, there's more coming on this because uh, apparently this is uh, uh, this is pretty big news because uh, that is. I guess close to a fifth uh, of the police there. Uh, apparently, 250 officers have signed the open letter saying that they want to force, enforce it, with uh, about 1,100 officers uh, who are undecided. Uh, uh, apparently, Hardy received uh, a, an advance notice of this uh, on an email from Tyler Jackson, who's the head of the uh, Connecticut Peace Officers Association, and that's uh, the organization that sent the open letter. Uh, this is uh, this is pretty huge. Uh, I mean, if you have a fifth of the police force saying uh that they're not going to enforce it they're refusing to enforce it that's uh that's pretty big news uh let's see there are some additional updates uh, let's see the uh now i'm reading the i'm reading the update to this that was the first that was the first report uh Apparently, either the either the letter that they had written and uh, and signed something has happened to it, uh, or that it never existed. Hmm. First, first they're saying this is a this is a retraction. First, they're saying that there is no Tyson Jackson. Uh, second, there's no Connecticut Peace Officers Association. Uh, so, so this is uh, this is a story that was making the rounds, but it wasn't an actual uh, it wasn't an actual real story, although. They said that uh, 
they said that they have had, they do have information uh, that a very significant number of law enforcement uh, officers in various agencies in Connecticut have vowed they will not enforce unconstitutional gun laws that, uh, that either the letter doesn't exist or something happened to it. Uh, regardless, uh, uh, the the question has always been: uh, Are will the police enforce laws that they feel are unconstitutional? You know, will they if they even if they feel it's wrong, will they go ahead and do it? The same thing has been asked of our uh, military. Uh, the would the military do this? Would the military uh, enforce unconstitutional laws? Will the Will the sheriffs do it? Will the heads of any of the uh, the agencies do this? So, uh, there have been uh, quite a few folks who have commented on this, uh, including uh, uh, the folks over on uh, the 50s uh, Irregulars. They have commented on... Uh, on the events in Connecticut, and uh, they even sent, uh, uh, what's his name, from uh, 60th Street, uh, I'll think of it in a minute, uh, that he sent uh, uh, an open letter uh, to the uh, Connecticut uh, uh, lawmakers uh, talking about how dangerous this was. I think it was a pretty big letter. I think it was a like about a 16,000 uh, word Piece. Uh, the uh, uh, and you can get the, you can get that uh, if you would like to read uh, more of that. You can go over to the Sipsy uh, uh, Street Irregulars dot blogspot dot com. Uh, just Google Sipsy S I P S E Y Street Irregulars, and uh, uh, and you can read what they uh, what they have written about it. Uh, yeah, and I've got uh, I got some of the folks uh, uh, in the chat room are talking about this, saying uh, the cops at the police department are scared. Uh, yeah, you're right, they are, uh, and uh, and uh, <clears throat> this is uh, one of the folks in the chat room. Uh, uh, Liberty, <clears throat> who said that uh, the cop who made the inflammatory comment had the 24-hour guard due to death threat. That's right. That's right. They do. They, he's been suspended or he's been put on uh, on leave uh, because of the stuff that he said. Uh, and now he has a you know, full-time guard because of death threat. Now, uh, is anybody going to do anything? I doubt it. The The majority of the folks who are upset are not. Now, these aren't criminals. These are uh, law-abiding folks. Uh, and the majority of these uh, threats that I read and stuff were threats like, I wish you would come to my house and try and take my guns, uh, things like that. And I can understand the ire of the folks. Uh, anytime, anytime you have uh, like a law enforcement uh, uh, agent who who we all want to think that these folks are out there uh, 
uh, nonstop thinking about how they can uh, protect us, how they can protect the citizens, uh, how they can protect our rights. And to have one of them say, uh, you know, I'd give, uh, I'd give my left nut to bang down your door and take your gun, that's a very scary thing because... These are the people in authority. These are the people that uh, that we're supposed to obey. These are the people that are supposed to protect us. We should have to worry are going to break down our doors in the middle of the night with a no-knock warrant and start shooting members of your family. That's wrong. And uh, <clears throat> the... Uh, these citizens should be upset, and uh, we should be doing uh, what we can to help them. By that, I mean the uh, the phone lines to our uh, senators and congressmen should be burning up. Uh, they should know exactly how we feel about this, because uh, although our congressmen uh, our senators can't do anything about uh, what's going on in the state's laws. And I'm not saying that they should. I'm not saying that, that because there's another line I don't want to cross, and that is is having, uh, I think there's already too much of the, uh, the government, uh, the national government try and, uh, and get involved in state's business. But I think that that we should be letting the uh, our congressmen and senators know that uh, that there's no way we would ever allow anything like that in our states, and that uh, even the even the slightest push in that direction would result in uh, in their constituents doing anything possible to have them removed. Because the reality is, as far as uh, as far as the power that you have, <clears throat> certainly you have the power to resist. You have the power, uh, if you decide to do it, to resist. And you have the power to resist violently and with force, if that's what you decide. Now, do I think that's what you should do? Uh, no, I don't, because that normally doesn't go well for whoever does it. You can look at folks like, uh, well, like uh, like the the folks uh, uh, who were uh, following uh, David Koresh. Uh, I think that any time that you, uh, and they had the the folks at uh, uh, at Mount Carmel, the divisions had they had the right to protest, they had the right to resist. But then you have to deal with the outcome of it. Do I think that what happened to them was right? Absolutely not. But you have the right to resist. Now, it shouldn't have to come to that. It should not have to come to that. Besides that type of power, the only other real power you have is uh, either with your with your dollar, and that is with your decision to where you would spend your dollars if you are... Uh, if there's some way that you can uh, that you can financially uh, harm some uh, company or entity uh, that's pushing for this, or with your vote, that's the only way. That's the power you have because 
these folks in uh, our senators, our congressmen, uh, our state as well as national, they they want to stay uh, in power. I mean, very seldom do you ever you ever find a politician who's willing to step down voluntarily. Almost all of them will keep running until they're either defeated or if they're under some type of uh, term limits. They're going to keep going. They're going to stay there. Uh, look at all the career politicians in Washington, the folks that have been uh, up there in Congress for uh, 25 years, 35 years, 50 years. They've made a, a living out of it, a life out of it. And that's one of the problems that we have there. It's become so, so incestuous, so, uh, so landlocked. Uh, but you have the power to tell your senator, your congressman, that, uh, that there are certain things that uh, if they do them, that, that it's guaranteed that you're going to vote for somebody else, that you don't care if that's whatever the, the letter is in front of that somebody else's name, that you're going to vote for that other person regardless. Now, normally there, the rejoinder will be, look, you can't vote for them. They are a, uh, they're anti-gun. Or they are, uh, you know, they're, uh, uh, they're a Democrat or they're a Republican. Uh, you can't vote for them. And the answer should be, well, how can they be any worse? How can they be any worse than me than, than me having uh, to ask somebody to, to do something uh, for our rights and have them not do it? How can anybody else be any worse? I'll take my chances with the the other person, with the other letter. That is a power you have, and that is what you should be using right now. <clears throat> you should be calling your uh, your senators and congressmen and letting them know that uh, that that it's not acceptable to you. The situation that's going on in Connecticut that it is not acceptable in your state. Now, there is uh, several states that uh, that are pretty close to see what's happening in Connecticut now. You certainly have New York, which is which is going through close uh, uh, close to the same thing. And uh, I know of uh, uh, well three people that I know uh, pretty closely that uh, that lived in New York and no longer do because of the, the laws that have gone through there. And several others who I know uh, who are trying to find a way to move out because they don't want to live under the laws that they're being forced to live under. And uh, they're looking for ways to leave the state. And, uh, you know, the uh, the that's the power that you have, all right? Because I'm not going to tell anybody uh, that they should uh, that they should use any other means, all right? Uh, 
235 years ago, we went through this. We went through uh, eight long bloody years so that we would not have to resort to violence again in order uh, to get things changed. So uh, I'm going to be an advocate uh, uh, until the bitter end for a nonviolent solution. Uh, uh, that doesn't mean that I wouldn't that I wouldn't defend my family. I'm just saying that I think that uh, I think that this can be fixed without violence. I can tell you right now that uh, if the American people ever really understood how much power they had. Uh, they could, they could do, uh, they could do anything they wanted. Uh, apparently, a good number of them are doing that now, and that is uh, when they found out they had the power to elect people who would, uh, who would pay them not to work. Uh, we got, uh, apparently, we're getting close to the 50% mark now. Uh, if if there was uh, some type of massive resistance uh, by folks, some type of concerted massive resistance, I'm sure you could force the government to do whatever you wanted. If uh, if everybody decided uh, tomorrow that uh, that they didn't want to pay their taxes because of uh, of what was going on, and they stopped paying any kind of taxes. Well, what could they? What could the government really do? There was nothing they could do because they would instantly have no money to do anything. Uh, the American people have a tremendous amount of power right at their fingertips. But uh, how would you? How are you going to? Uh, how are you going to get them to to utilize that power? So. <clears throat> So once again, uh, my my suggestion would be that uh, that each and every person who's listening right now and who's going to listen later in the archives and stuff is that uh, the minute you get through with listening to this, uh, if it's too late, uh, you can still call your your all of the uh, senators, congressmen. They all have. Uh, uh, the answering message machines and stuff in their offices. It doesn't matter what time it is. You can always call them and leave a message. Uh, and then you can follow up again by calling during the office hours, uh, during a regular working day. And you're not going to talk to your congressman or senator unless it just unless there's some kind of freak accident. Uh, you're going to talk to one of the staff members. And when you do, remember that they are under no obligation to listen to you if you uh, start getting rude or obnoxious, you know they are—they're uh, well within their rights, uh, as, and I feel that they should to hang up on you if you start yelling or screaming or threatening or anything else. I would too, and uh, that's not the way you go about it. You go about it by presenting a very civil, well thought out uh, statement. It doesn't have to be any kind of long treatise or uh, or dissertation. Uh, but you need to let them know 
how you feel about this and let them know that uh, that any type of attack on your Second Amendment rights, any type of attack or any type of any refusal or to support or defend them or any uh, anyone who is not making enough effort to support or defend them, that that's a deal breaker to you. That that in and of by itself without anything else is enough that you will uh, you will vote is running against them in the next election despite whatever prefix uh, or letters in front of their name, and you let them know this. And uh, now certainly, if you're living in one of the states where where you and your beliefs are minority, it's not going to do a lot. Uh, but it's still your duty to let them know. I can't tell you in how many places, uh, and we've discussed this on the show quite a bit, that uh, <clears throat> because folks don't contact their senators and congressmen uh, very much, uh, and that's one of the reasons that, that we've gotten such shoddy representation is because our senators and congressmen feel like they can do pretty much whatever they want to do because nobody's going to call them on it. They don't get uh, that many calls or letters or anything else on any of the subjects. So what happens then is that because because you call in and because they know that uh, out of uh, out of a thousand people, uh, or make that ten thousand, out of ten thousand people, only one person is going to call in, uh, you know, to voice anything. That means that now your voice isn't just one voice. Now it's a thousand people, or ten thousand, or even if it's only uh, five hundred people or a hundred people, it's not just one voice. You're not just representing one person. You're representing, uh, you know, at times uh, maybe even tens of thousands of folks when you call in and you give your opinion to your congressman or senator. And uh, I guarantee you this is the way it works because I've I've called uh, not just my senators and congressmen. But I've called senators and congressmen in uh, other states and asked them the same thing. Uh, now, remember that whenever you when you call in to your senators or congressmen, usually they're going to ask you for uh, like your zip code or what city you're living in or something like that. So if you feel some some need to call into a senator in uh, in some other state, then. Uh, you should have uh you should have a zip code ready uh for the uh for the the area that that specific congressman or senator represents because if you don't then they don't have to listen to you because you can't vote for them right so uh, make sure that if you uh calling in some other uh into some other congressional area that you uh that you have a zip code ready for uh, for that for their representative area, all right? Because hey, folks, stand by. Scout got bumped off the air again. It happens with blog talk every once in a while, but he'll be back momentarily. Somebody pop up on the chat room and know him, let him know he's disconnected. If you go back looking through the chat room there, you'll see I put in an address for contacting Congress. 
And if you get a hold of those folks and give them an idea of what you want, maybe you won't change their mind, but enough people get out there and give them the idea, they start paying attention. Most all of them are interested in maintaining that job they got up there, and they know that they have to please you to do it. It's up to us to convince them in a safe, sane, and rational way that we're the folks that are going to control whether or not they stay in that job. Call them up, shoot them an email, let them know in a nice, clean, easy way, non-confrontational, exactly what you want, and how you're politically willing to manage to get that. It works very well. If you look in the blue pages of your phone book, you'll also see a local number for your representative and senator for their offices back in the district. You could put those numbers into your cell phone and when you get a break in the morning, go out to get a cup of coffee before you head back to your desk, hit that speed dial button and give them 30 seconds worth of your opinion on what you believe is right and what you believe is wrong and what you believe is necessary for them to maintain that office. And as Scout said earlier, be rational, be reasonable, don't go off half-cocked, don't be threatening, don't get ignorant. Tell them what you want, nice and clean, polite, just like you'd like to hear. They don't have to listen, so make them want to stay on the air and hear what you got to say. They'll reach over on that tally board and make their mark. When the boss comes in, they'll let him know which way the wind is blowing, which direction they need to set their sail to get where they need to be. It works every time. I see Scout's back on the line here, so I'll butt out and let him get back talking with you. Well, you don't have to, uh, <laughs> don't have to run off. Uh, I don't know. You know, sometimes I think that uh, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but... Uh, uh, sometimes I think that that blog talk, uh, you know, when they see your uh, the subject that you're working on or something, or or they happen to listen in, because every once in a while they uh, they have folks that monitor the shows and stuff to make sure, I guess, that you know that things are going on that are you know above board and everything. <laughs> but I swear, I think sometimes they just start dumping you because you're talking about something that they don't want uh, they don't want to hear. Well, you only missed about 30 seconds worth of dead air there before I got cut in and just kind of continued on the subject, so didn't help him that. <laughs> well, I, you know, usually if it uh, if something if something happens, there's uh, uh, you know if you're you but you have to be looking at the switch at the uh, the blog talk switchboard. You know, then a a, uh, a window will come up and it'll say uh, you're no longer connected. You know, or do you want to end the episode now, etc. Whatever. But I wasn't looking at the I wasn't looking at the uh, switchboard. I was looking at a at another window, and I uh, didn't see it. So thank you, Sam, and uh, we really appreciate it because Sam is he's he's sitting there listening. He's doing his chores or whatever, but uh, but he's always ready to jump in and uh, jump in and save the day. So thank you, Sam. Uh, <clears throat> Basically, what the only thing you missed was me just saying that uh, that uh, they have to hear it. 
they have to hear your voice. They have to know that that you care because otherwise, what they have, what they assume is that you don't care. That uh, that you're like the parents, uh, you know, that are upstairs in their bedroom with the door shut. And you can do basically whatever you want. Well, you don't set the house on fire, you know, or the cops don't come. You can do whatever you want because because they're not going to say anything, you know, as opposed to the parents who are sitting in the room with you and uh, and they're nice, loving parents, but uh, the, when you start acting crazy, they can say, knock it off. Uh, and that's how that's how we have to be with our senators and congressmen because it's gotten it's gotten out of control. Uh, name me any other name me any other job that you could possibly have where you're not subject to a good number of the laws that the rest of America is subject to. Uh, that uh, that if you get the job and you work for a couple of years, then you get an immediate lifetime pension. Uh, that your health policy is a gold-plated health policy that nobody else in America, uh, except maybe a few millionaires, can afford. Uh, that you don't have to obey uh, a good number of the laws that uh, you force your constituents to obey. Or what, who else lives like that? Who else does that? <clears throat> and the answer is nobody, just our elected representatives. Once they start living in that fashion, then they're no longer living in the world that we live in. So once they are not living in the world that we live in, then it's not uh, – then they don't understand. Uh, they're not living under the same rules, same laws, the same problems. They're living under completely different situations. <clears throat> So how are they going to uh, how are they going to accurately represent us? And the answer is they're not. So we have to we have to be watching what they're doing. We have to be the uh, 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 we have to be vigilant. We have to uh, we have to make sure that uh, that we're paying attention. So so we've got to we've got to read the stuff that our representatives are doing. We just can't we can't blindly trust them. Uh, to do the right thing because, uh, number one, they may not know what the right thing to do is, and number two, they may disregard doing the right thing. Uh, and uh, and do things that we don't want them to do, right? And that's what's happening a lot right now. So the first thing you can do is make sure that you are letting your uh, senators and congressmen know how you feel, not just your uh, nationally, but make sure that you're letting your local uh, politicians know, because uh, it's completely true that uh, you know all politics are local, 
uh, that if you're going to make any uh, changes, you're going to have to make them locally. And uh, and certainly the folks, uh, uh, the folks in Connecticut are experiencing that now. Uh, I'm certain that they can all use, uh, if you're a, a praying person, uh, that uh, that you send them your that your prayers, uh, and uh, uh, and that you try and uh, we try and do as much as we can. So I see. Uh, I'm looking at the, the tech now. It says, tech is complicated. Fear mongers use failures and glitches to claim they are being targeted. But a lot of those claims are BS. <laughs> so I don't, I'm not saying that I'm being targeted. Just saying sometimes it makes me wonder because uh, because it usually doesn't happen on uh, on shows that uh, that are about some other subject. But at the same time, I, I don't. I don't really feel it's. Uh, I don't really feel that it's that it's an important enough show uh, for me to get targeted for anything like that. So, uh, make sure that you're make sure that you're helping out however you can. Make sure that you are uh, that you're letting your reps know that uh, that the events that are going on in Connecticut are not. Uh, that that those are not things that you're willing to allow uh, in your neck of the woods. All right. Uh, the call-in number is three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero. Three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero. Now. Well, one uh, uh okay, I see one person saying they lost me that you said you still got uh you still got me so maybe it's maybe it's something on on uh on uh, liberty's end uh, so uh at the same time uh I would tell you guys that uh you know, we talk a lot about uh, uh, self-reliance and prepping and stuff on the show here. And I would tell you that it's also your duty uh, to make sure that you and your family, uh, that you've done things in order to prepare uh, to deal with uh, natural and man-made disasters, all right? Because these can happen anywhere. It doesn't have to be the result of some political action or or aliens invading, or comets, or anything else. It can be uh, going on, or uh, uh, over in the uh, in New York, uh, or uh, the ones that went through Alabama just recently. Uh, you know, the freeze and stuff when I went there. You should be working on making sure that you are that you are doing the things uh, that you should be doing, and make sure that you have food, water, fire, shelter, security. Uh, for you and your family in the event that there is a cessation uh, of services provided by uh, either the utility companies or or anything else, all right? Uh, 
And I'm not, uh, like I said, I'm not telling you this because uh, because of Connecticut. I'm just saying that uh, uh, you should be doing it for your uh, for your family's safety. All right. There can be any number of things that can happen. So make sure that you guys are continuing. We're, we're going to continue to do shows on this. And uh, I'm talking to a number of other guests right now. There's a fellow uh, that uh, that experienced the problems in the Balkan countries. And uh, he's talked about it quite a bit. You know, we had uh, 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 Fernando Aguirre on uh just recently, and he talked about the problems in Argentina, uh, which is not a third world nation, and yet they experienced uh, financial collapse. And he talked about the things that uh, that uh, occurred to that happened to him and his family there in Argentina. And uh, this person, I'm not uh, exactly sure. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. I, I don't, I don't want to say his name because. Uh, because he said, uh, you know, he's still living in the country. He doesn't want any problems here. But I've asked him to come on the show to talk about the uh, the problems that was experienced recently in the Balkans. And uh, and I was speaking with uh, uh, yesterday with a gentleman named uh, Tom Stalkup, and uh, he did a documentary uh, recently on the events surrounding the uh, the crash of TWA Flight 800. This was the uh, jet airliner that crashed off of Long Island. And uh, he did a documentary for Epics on this. And I've watched it several times. And I'm telling you that the uh, case that is presented for reopening the investigation into that flight uh, is a very strong case. And I've asked him to to come on the show and talk about it, and uh, and uh, we're working that out now. <clears throat> and I believe this is even more relevant because of the uh, the recent uh, flight that disappeared uh, uh, in Asia. And of course, and I haven't watched the news or anything today, so I don't know anything about uh, whether there's any additional news on that. I know at one point last night um, when we were at the restaurant, there was a uh, I couldn't hear the, the didn't have the audio up, but there was a TV screen on, and it said that it looked like they had found uh, the, the wreckage of the aircraft somewhere. Uh, anyway, we'll have him coming on. I'm asked uh, Dr. Fisher, David Hackett Fisher, to come on uh, next month and uh, and talk about uh, his book once again, the uh, Paul Revere's Ride. So I'd like for him to come on and talk to you guys uh, in the month of April. And that's the book that Get Out Speed uses as its its history tech manual. And uh, it's really the absolute best uh, book that is written on the subject. And I've read, I believe I've searched far and wide to get the information, all the information I can on the events of April 19th. And David Hackett Fisher's book, Paul Revere's Ride, is... Uh, is the most uh, the most complete uh, book of evidence and uh, of the events that there is. So, uh, anyway, these are folks that are coming up. 
Now, I want uh, I also want to make sure that you guys, uh, you're the guys that I do the show for, not for me. Uh, I can go in my room and read a book for myself and find out the information and stuff that I want. Or I can go to one of the podcasts that I like to listen to, and I'll listen to them. Uh, so I don't do this show for me. I do it because I try to, I try to put out information that I think of it is relevant to folks and that uh, that folks would like to hear. And uh, so if there's something that you guys want to hear, then uh, I'd appreciate it if you would uh, send me a send me a message uh, or uh, call me and let me know uh, and. Uh, and I'll try and get uh, that guest on or try and do a uh, show on that subject, all right? Okay. Uh, I don't have the uh, – I don't have – I have, like, three possible guests that uh, that I'm trying to work in for the next two weeks. Since I don't have for – I don't have for sure who's going to be back or who's going to be in uh, just next Thursday. But as soon as I do know, I'll let you know and uh, – and the, the show will be uh, next Thursday, 7 p.m. Uh, Central Standard Time, as normal. All right. Uh, thanks, you guys, for listening tonight. And uh, I think it would be in your best interest to uh, to follow the events that are occurring in uh, Connecticut, and uh, and make sure that. Uh, that you're doing everything uh, within your power legally to uh, to ensure that those same events don't occur in your states. All right, all right. God keep and watch over you and your families, and uh, we'll see you this uh, next Thursday, 7 p.m. Central. All right. Till then, stay safe, stay sharp, keep your powder dry, keep a stiff upper lip. <laughs>
Saying, uh, we're going to have to 